In improvisational theater, there is an adage that says, make your partner look good. In leadership and business relationships, this means you can make personal interactions a win-win situation for both you and your colleagues. Welcome to Partner Up with Amy Carroll, speaking with guests and listeners like you. Amy uses her wisdom and wit, leading you along the road to success. Now, here is your host, Amy Carroll. Welcome, everyone, to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. As a communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, I am delighted to be your host and excited to bring you insights and ideas to help you solve your communication conundrums. This is, I want to say, my 13th episode, we're going to guess on that one, of Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Now, if you want to find out more about me or what the show's about, feel free to listen to any of my previous episodes, and you can find them either on my website, carolcoaching.com, or go directly to voiceamerica.com business channel, and be sure to download the app. Now, if you missed last week's episode, I interviewed Faye Witteveen, and we dissected a communication breakdown that Faye recently had with her husband, COVID-related and discussed what contributed to the breakdown. And it wasn't just COVID, folks. (laughs) There were other issues. Then while playing Monday morning quarterbacks, we brainstormed alternative responses to avoid these types of conflicts to even happen in the first place. So tune in and discover the tips and tricks that you can apply to avoid your own communication breakdowns. Today, my guest is Jens Kleins Fredriksson. Welcome, Jens. Thank you, Amy. It's a delight to be here. Same here. I'm, we, you and I have spent some time really brainstorming what we want to share with listeners. So I'm delighted that we finally are at the moment of delivery. So yes. I want to tell the listeners a bit about you, Jens. As a certified executive coach and NLP practitioner, Jens specializes in professional development, leadership development, and team performance. And he's working globally, either it could be any multiple type of client corporations, law firms, financial services, governments, and international organizations. And you may be able to detect when Jens starts speaking a bit more that he's originally from Copenhagen, Denmark. And having spent the first 25 years of his career in management leadership roles with global companies across Europe, and I can say across Europe because listen up, folks, this guy is fluent in not two, not three, not four, five languages. Danish, English, French, Spanish, and German, which, Jens, I got to tell you, from an American perspective, is like godlike. We, we, it's, it's hard to fathom this. And it's not like he can just order something off the menu, folks. He actually works in all of these languages. Now, and it doesn't surprise me that one of Jens's pastimes is observing cultural differences and how they influence the way we communicate, work, and play. We're going to be talking a bit about that today. Yes. Jens, I believe it, it is true. Tell me if this is just a rumor. You actually have a competitive streak so strong that it motivated you to scale Mount Kilimanjaro just to win a beer. Is that true? Yes, it's absolutely true. Somebody challenged me and said that she thought I couldn't do it. And uh, we had a bit, uh, won a bet for a beer. I went to the summit. I had the beer. It was the sweetest beer I've ever had. <laughs> I bet it was. All right. So. Uh, I am going to be careful how much I challenge uh, Jens here because we can see that he's going he's to follow through on that. Here's, though, a quote, uh, something that you said to me, Jens, when we were speaking a few weeks ago that really 
for me, I realize it's really the um, foundation of what we're going to be talking about. You said hard skills get you into leadership. Soft skills will keep you there. Correct. Yes, absolutely. So powerful. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, folks. Uh, And of course, there's loads of different soft skills. We're going to just be highlighting a few of them that can move you from a good to a great leader. One of those soft skills is self-awareness. And when you and I were speaking the other day, you mentioned that you realize that one of your communication challenges is your tendency to go off on tangents. Oh, yes, absolutely. (laughs) And I got to say, congratulations to the great (laughs) self-awareness. Not everyone's aware of that about themselves. I've been known to get to the point on more than one occasion. (laughs) (laughs) So here's my question for you, Jens. Does that mean this gives me permission to interrupt you and bring you back on topic? It does, Amy. Please do, because otherwise I don't know where we're going with this. All right. Excellent. I will be, be happy to do that. So Jens, why don't we start with you sharing some of your background, your professional background, and what we would, I would label your, per, your professional epiphany. Why don't you tell listeners about that? Yes. Yeah. It, it was an epiphany. I think that's the right word for it. Um, I've, as we said in the introduction, I've spent uh, two and a half decades in big multinational companies in uh, an Indian urban leadership roles. And my goal was to become the managing director of a large internationally operating company. I wanted so to you, have, you were clear. You knew that. I was clear. I had that goal from where I finished business school many moons ago and uh, worked towards that and enjoyed the journey uh, in, in many respects and learned a lot and found myself running uh, a big company. Uh, it was in Spain. I was hired to turn around a company that was not performing well uh, in terms of financial results, but also in very much around the people. Um, the culture wasn't good and we were losing talent. And that was my ultimate goal, a big, fat challenge, um, lots of hard work and sitting at the end of the table with my profit and loss account and all the rest of it. And uh, we did turn the business around and we did turn the culture around. But I realized along the way that I wasn't feeling terribly energized when I was getting up in the morning, particularly after the turnaround had been delivered. And uh, that prompts the question, where is this taking me? And which part of it is it that is not energizing me or sapping my energy? Which part is it that I, that I still enjoy? So it was that question you asked yourself. And is it true that you, you also took that out kind of like a helicopter in view and actually said, do I want to be doing this until my retirement? Exactly. That was, that was the, this happened to me when I was in my, um, it's just past mid forties, uh, getting close to late forties. And I thought, well, would, would I like to be on this track when I'm 50? Bearing in mind that uh, that would probably mean I would stay on that track uh, until retirement. And mm. the answer was, no, I did not want to be on that track. I wanted to be on another track where I got more of what I liked and less of the things that weren't terribly gratifying for me. Mm-hmm. And so you did lots of searching and researching and soul searching, and that's when you finally discovered coaching. Yes, yes, I did. Um, because the part of my job as being a, a leader uh, that I enjoyed the most is making people perform and bring people together and create a good and healthy environment for collaboration and see people develop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that is what a coach does. I don't necessarily or very rarely tell people what to do. I help them to get better at what they're already good at and I help them work on the things that they want to improve 
So whether you're a coach in business or whether you're a coach in sports, it's the same thing. It's about taking your clients to their ultimate level of performance and mm-hmm. see the enjoyment they get from that. And one of the things that, as I'm listening to you, that's coming up for me in the back of my mind is, at any point, did you think about the fact that you would be walking away from, you know, the the status and the the all of the perks that go with being a managing director? Did you think about what how that might impact you or maybe even your self-esteem? Yes, certainly. Well, the first one that springs to mind is the paycheck. Um, <laughs> but, but, but that comes later on. But yes, absolutely. Because I think many of us, if you've worked very, very hard to get to where you are and you have enjoyed the ride, but your role, your stature, the recognition that you get is, 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 has obviously a positive impact on your self-esteem and the way that people yeah. see you. If somebody says, Ah, Jens is the managing director of company X. People say, wow. And he says, Jens is a coach with a, well, another one. It, it's, it, it is. So I'm being a bit flippant there because I think that there's more to it than that. But nonetheless, yes, absolutely. There are things, hard earned recognition that you have, that in my case, I was prepared to say, I'd rather leave that on the wayside because I see more recognition and more gratification and more value coming out of doing something else, taking all the skills and all the experience mm. that I have acquired, but applying it in a different way and in a different yeah. kind of function. You know, as you're talking about that fear of the loss of status, I remember years ago thinking, oh, I'm going to work way past retirement because I just mm-hmm. love what I do so much and it gives me so much satisfaction and joy. Now, all of that's true. Though I recently became more self-aware that if I stopped working at retirement, I, I, I mean, I'm going to have to really grapple with this if that's something I want to do. At the moment, it's not. Though part of it is because I'm not ready to walk away from the status and recognition and perceived value that I get from doing the work I do. And with that, not only is that for my ego, it's also the resources that are available to me. Uh, so I, I, I think there's part of me that was a little disappointed that I, that, that, that was a reality for me. And I also realized it must be a reality for many people who are facing retirement. You know, that fear of, of no longer having that title and, and that recognition that goes with that role. Yes, because it's a fundamental need for people, for, I think probably for all of us, to have recognition and to get the confirmation from the world around us that we add value and that we are valuable to them. And that oftentimes is connected to our profession. And I went through exactly the same thinking process as you and and, and along the lines with, I would like to work until I'm quite old, 51 years old. I'm still a relatively young man, but, but nonetheless, I don't really see myself stopping working just because the shelf life of a managing director in a big company is rather short. Right. So how can, what are the, what was the profession in my case that could allow me to continue working and enjoying working and uh, doing that until a fairly advanced age and hopefully clients will still find value in that. And the good news is, you know, the older you get, they also think you're wiser. So um, it, it maybe it's, it's going to work to our advantage. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <We're> all <laughs> Don't tell anyone. No, no, we're not telling anybody. But there is, some, there is some merit to that. You know, earlier when you were talking about the, the challenge of enjoying your job, and it, it wasn't like you were at even close to miserable in your job, though you were really wanting to take things to the next level of 
to have full satisfaction as much as possible. I think there's a lot of people who may be in your, the position you were in where things are good. They're not great. Mm -hmm. And there's this quote I've heard. I I, I can't remember who said it. Uh, If a listener is tuning in, feel free to send me an email later if you know who said this quote. And the quote is, the enemy of the bad. No, let me start again. The enemy of the great is not the bad. The enemy of the great is actually the good. Because when things are good, we're not so motivated to change. And, you know, so that's why I'm quite impressed by the decision you made nonetheless when you said, will I be happy doing this in 10 years? Things were were good and you were still willing to look at that and reflect on it and make some significant life changes in order to play, you know, the calculated risk in order to bring life to a, a level of what felt great for you and the satisfaction you get as a coach. So I, I, I guess I share, I, I want to encourage listeners to, um, to challenge yourself. It, if things are good, can you still push yourself to move them into great and not wait till things get bad in order to find motivation? Yes. Do you want to add to that, Hans? Absolutely. I agree with you completely. Um, it's like a dish. You taste it. It tastes okay, but it's not delicious. And then you ask yourself, do I want to continue eating this dish for the next decade or even longer? <laughs> or would it be rather to indulge yourself? And, uh, and it's, I think also another, another consideration is we all have a lot of talents. Some of us have been privileged to learn enormous amounts of good experiences, good education. I've been privileged to learn a lot of languages that are put to use. It's also about to say, how many of the tools in my toolkit am I picking up on a regular basis? And if it's just one or two of them, I feel that I'm missing something. So that's also that consideration to say, mm-hmm. I want to get the most out of this, of, of this, right? And give as much back to people as I can. And that feeds the recognition that we all need and that we all appreciate. Yeah, yeah. You know, Jens, that quote that I uh, started the episode with, hard skills get you into leadership and soft skills will keep you there. I'd like you to share your perspective more about some of those other soft skills that you find are so important. Yes. Um, I think very closely related to the soft skills is the self-awareness. And when we talk about soft skills, we often think, well, that's oriented towards other people, but it really starts with yourself. And that's what we are, let's say, the the overarching uh, topic we're talking about here in leadership in this respect is communication. And it starts with yourself. What am I assuming? What am I expecting? What are my needs? What are the needs of the people around you? And when you look at how effective your communication is, it's often to start start having the self-awareness to step back and say, what is happening right now? If you have a conflict, if a message was misunderstood, it's about what was my intention? How was the response from the people around me to it? And what can I do to get the message across? And being clear about that. And for me, all those questions that you're posing yourself are all parts of in uh, of emotional intelligence and increasing our emotional intelligence when we're you know self more greater self awareness greater awareness of other people yes and As, go ahead yeah think about it oftentimes you and in a business context this really this often happens we're under pressure, things are moving fast, 
and uh, we pass a message or we communicate and the message is not understood or it doesn't elicit the response that we expected or the action we expected. You get annoyed. Yes. You start slipping into predator behavior. Yep. And you keep repeating the same message in the same way until you get what you want. But we all know deep down that if you take a step back, if it didn't work the first time or the second time, probably the way the message was understood was not what you had in mind. So you have an assumption to challenge or there's something else going on. So that's where the self-awareness comes in and say, rather than getting angry and not getting anywhere, what can I do to make the communication work and get my audience to understand my intentions and I understand theirs? And I want to pop in here and do a little explanation for listeners who may have heard you use that term predator and aren't crystal clear. This is a, a communication model that my sister, Pat Kirkland, developed. And there's three archetypes. There's the predator, there's the prey, there's the partner. And when Jens refers to predator, that's where we're holding too much respect for ourselves, not enough for others, and can be perceived as arrogant or aggressive or dominant or pushy. And the other extreme, the prey, P-R-E-Y, tends to hold too much respect for the other, not enough for themselves. And the bad news about that is even though they're going for harmony, it can end up triggering a predator reaction in other people, even in reasonable people, they can go predator when you're not holding enough respect for yourself. So we're going to be visiting that model a little bit more later. And of course, the idea is the invitation is step in partner. I'm holding high respect for myself, high respect for the other all as well. And the cool thing is that a predator will tend to respond very well to someone behaving like a partner and a prey will also respond really well. And they tend to recalibrate their own behaviors into partner with you. So about the self-awareness thing, I have um, a, a quick exercise that people can do to help raise their own self-awareness. And later on, um, Jens and I are going to be doing a role play to demonstrate this. Though the, the, the exercise I want to talk about now is just imagine once, twice a day for 30 seconds, you do what we call a self-check. And at any moment, and you heard Jens say this a minute ago, ask yourself, what am I feeling? What am I needing? Just the simple process of pausing and reflecting and identifying your feelings and your needs and you're doing this in low stress moments, not when you're high stress, because it's harder for the brain to process, right? Though when you're doing it in your low stress moments, what you're doing is you're building a habit or a reflex that will become available to you in those high moments of pressure and high, high stress. So that to me is a, a great way, concrete step that listeners can apply for actively raising self-awareness. Would you add anything to that, Jens? Absolutely. Yeah, it's about and, and knowing your trigger points. We all have them, whether it can be a situation or an emotion. That the, Practicing that is a really good tool. I'll give you a little example, which is close to my heart, which is yeah. me. I'm not very good. I'm not very good at being told what to do. I have oh. always, since childhood, I'm rebellious. I don't mm. like to be told what to do. Yeah. That's that's obviously a bit of a weakness when you work in a big organization where people will be telling you what to do mm. all the time. And when I feel that rebellious feeling, and I can yeah. even connect it back to my childhood, I think, ah, now I'm getting, I'm resisting for the sake of resisting. I take a quick pause and it's a split second and say, what's going on here? Yes. Yeah. It's because you think it's a profoundly bad idea what's being proposed. 
is somebody being disrespectful? Is it just yeah. your personal aversion to being told what to do? And if it is that, I let it go. And it, it, nice. it works it works wonders. It works wonders, whether it's with authorities. Very, very recently, I had a little discussion with a policeman about a small infraction <laughs> that I've done. And, uh, and I, I was very tempted to ask him whether he didn't have anything better to do than, uh, than give me a hard time about this. Nonetheless, I realized, Jens, this is just you being annoyed because he's being a bit bossy with you. Mm-hmm. Um, let it go and you will be on your way and so will he. Uh, much faster in than if you start going in and start to provoke him, which would be my initial reaction. Or in the past, it would have been. <laughs> that, what a great example of applying emotional intelligence. I love it. And and so let me re- reinforce what you said for listeners. Know what your triggers are. Mm-hmm. Yes. For me, I could say one of my triggers is when people uh, um, are taking themselves too seriously. It's really hard for me to stay partner. And I just want to get, you know, um, preachy predator and, and just tell them to get a life. <laughs> and I instead, when I'm able to, I pay attention and I say, okay, Amy, what's a reason? What's a good reason why this person might be taking themselves too seriously? Maybe they had, were recently scared. Maybe they... Um, someone um, disappointed them. There's all sorts of reasonable explanations for why that person could be acting that way. Um, so thank you for that reminder. Just know what our triggers are. And, and here's the thing. Um, and this sort of leads into this thing about, um, well, we want, no, actually, I'm going to back up a minute. Let's talk a little bit about effective communication in the area of a common language. What are your thoughts on that? Common language is important in the sense, and what do I mean? What do I mean when I say common language? We have a common understanding of what certain words or expressions mean. And that can vary from country to country, that can vary from region to region, that can vary from corporate culture to corporate culture. You typically see that you go into a, a company and there'll be certain expressions or mottos that keep coming up and everybody knows what it means. And that's because they have a common language of that. And when you look at languages themselves between countries, you have different connotations. And uh, I'll give you a couple of examples of the so-called false friends where words are the same in the way that they're pronounced, but the meaning is very different. Okay. So you and I, in English, we can have a discussion. We're talking about a topic. Right. Uh, In French, we will have a discussion. Same thing. We will have a conversation. In Spain, where I have worked... When you come out of a management meeting and you tell the people in your team, we had a discussion, hemos discutido algo, which means we had a row, we had a row, we had an argument. <laughs> una, una discusión in Spanish and Castellano, so what is spoken in, in, in Spain, the country, that's, that's an argument. Uh, I learned that the hard way, and people thought, oh, they're, they're having arguments in the management team every that single That Danish week. guy, he's just picking yeah. rights left and right. It, it might be because he's not very good at taking instructions. But, <laughs> but, but nonetheless, those are, those are important ones. And in, in French, a bit more colorful one, we talk about putting preservatives into, into food to keep it longer. Right. If you walk into a French bakery and ask them if they put preservatives in the bread, <laughs> it has a completely different connotation because in France, a preservative is a condom. Oh, now that's awkward. You don't want to go there. No, no, no. Listeners, don't do that to yourselves. <laughs> so um, this is a great example of connecting to the next soft skill about the importance of being aware of making assumptions. Yes. Right? 
And here's my thinking on this. We are constantly making assumptions without realizing it. Yes. And, pe- and, the, and, the, and people say, oh, well, I'll just stop making assumptions. No, you can't. No, exactly. So here's my thinking, Jens. I think that instead of attempting to reduce the number of assumptions I make, or maybe a way to do that is to assume I'm always making assumptions. Yes, absolutely. And uh, assumptions are, are, are essential for how we interact with other people and how we operate. If we weren't making assumptions, we would have to rethink every single possibility, every single action that we did during the day. We, work, we make assumptions based on knowledge and previous experience. There's nothing wrong with making assumptions. Right. Assumptions help us right. and save time and make us efficient. What we have to do with the assumptions is we have to validate and identify the assumptions that might trip us up. Right. So here's what I, w- I want to share an example of a uh, assumption that I made uh, years ago. I was living in a small apartment building in the Swiss German part. Now, like most Swiss buildings, Swiss apartment buildings, I was assigned a specific day and time to do my laundry. And not being accustomed to these restrictions, I had gone down to the laundry room one day and the machines were all full. So I decided I would come back a few hours later, left my laundry basket downstairs. That night, lying in bed, I went, oh, no, I forgot to do my laundry. And so I said, "Okay, I got to go back tomorrow. And I panicked a little bit um, because the second day I forgot again. No. No, two days in a row. I swear. No, I did. Um, Now, here's the thing, Jens. When I finally went down to the laundry room on the third day, my worst fears materialized. My laundry basket was gone. I knew it happened. I had violated the rules, and somebody in the apartment building was going to teach me that lesson that Americans got to learn how this works here in Switzerland. And, you know, they threw my laundry out, and that was that. (laughs) I was shocked and frustrated. And I, I can't believe they would actually do that. And, and just before leaving the laundry room, I poked my head around the corner to where the drawing area was because I was going to go, you know, rip into someone and tell them how, you know, un- I, I could have made that. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and there it was, around the corner, just to I I could see in a beautifully color coordinated manner my laundry not had only been washed, it was hung out and organized in a lovely fashion. Oh, that's fantastic. There you go. Wrong assumption, Amy. Wrong assumption. You're not kidding. It turned out the little lady in the apartment above me who spoke no English, no French, I spoke no German, had taken it upon herself to wash and hang my laundry. And can you imagine what would have happened if I hadn't looked around the corner and instead I acted on my first assumption? Absolutely. Yes. By the way, I want to live in that building. <laughs> right, I know. I tried to pay her; she wouldn't take it. We tried to give her laundry detergent. Nope, wouldn't take it. So, before we wrap for break, uh, take a quick break here. Um, anything else you would add to this? His importance about uh, clarifying assumptions. Except, uh, yes, it is to under to 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 check whether what people expect from you is aligned with your assumption and whether your message is getting across. And maybe after the break, I can share a little anecdote as well with you about what happens when you get assumptions wrong and how you can correct it. Okay, good. Uh, So after the break, we're going to come back. We're going to look at uh, what Jens is going to share. And we're also going to look at the challenges of cultural differences, as well as we're going to be offering you two very powerful and scary questions to ask others. 
If you want to know more about Jens, be sure to check out his website, JFK or www.jfk. No, I'm thinking. Oh, that's so funny. Everybody gets it wrong. I can't pretend to be a Kennedy. It's JKF.coach. I'm like looking at it. I can't read it. (laughs) JKF.coach. And you are listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Stay tuned. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you have colleagues, family members, or neighbors that just drive you crazy sometimes? Do you occasionally find yourself feeling disrespected, mistreated, or annoyed by others? As a no-nonsense communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, Amy Carroll may have a solution for you. For over 35 years, Amy has studied status and power dynamics, what sabotages relationships, results, and how to get desired outcomes in business and personal interactions. Make Your Partner Look Good is a philosophy from improvisational theater, as well as Amy's favorite mantra. For the last 20 years, she has been using her superhero powers to inspire individuals and multinationals around the globe to transform their communication and tap into their own partner powers. With concrete behavior changes in voice, body language, words, and attitude, Amy shows clients what to keep and what to change to get more out of what you want more often with less hassle. Visit carolcoaching.com today. That's C-A-R-R-O-L-L coaching.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. We want participation from you. Send an email with questions or comments or to share your own interpersonal communication dilemmas to amy at carolcoaching.com. That's amy at carolcoaching.com. Now, back to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Here again is Amy. Welcome back to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Before the break, we talked about how to cultivate greater self-awareness and to manage the challenge of making assumptions. So, Jens, I would like for you to share about your experience and opinions and thoughts around cultural differences. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I've been delighted to. And as we discussed before the break, uh, making assumptions, we do that for... uh, There are a lot of benefits of making assumptions apart from speed. And I'll give you a little example of that. When I was living in Madrid, I'd be, I would swing by the same cafe pretty much every day going to the office to have a cup of coffee, a fresh orange juice, and a slice of Spanish tortilla, so the, the, the potato omelette. Mm. And uh, that was my morning ritual, which I cherished a lot. And uh, after a while, the barman got to know me, and he knew that whenever Jens was coming through the door, he would already start preparing my breakfast, which I found was delightful because that makes you feel at home when you've moved to a new city that people recognize you and your habits. Um, however, one morning I had a, a rather severe hangover as I was heading down for my breakfast. We'd had a, <laughs> quite a long night out with some colleagues 
And I couldn't face an omelette and I couldn't face the orange juice. I would actually much rather have a Virgin Mary and I had an aspirin in my pocket. I walk in and he starts preparing my usual breakfast. And uh, I had to tell them, well, we need to change that. And I feel very <laughs> bad about it because he did it out of his best intentions right. because he had an assumption. Right, right. Next time, next next day that I come back, I have no hangover because it's not, not something, thankfully, that happens every day. And uh, he validated the assumption. He said, ah, same again, rather than asking what else are you having. So he was mm. just validating what are you having mm. today, Jens, because I noticed yesterday something changed. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is a nice little assumption. And also it's about validating when you see a difference in response than what you expected, validate whether your assumption is correct. And what I like about it is that he didn't take it personally and say, no. you know, start to treat you like a, uh, a stranger suddenly like, oh, well, you're going to change things on me because he might have felt a little bit silly or stupid having made the assumption. Exactly. And so there was generosity on his side as well. Absolutely. Yes. And tell me more about um, this coming from Denmark. You talked to me recently about the difference between universalist values and pop particularist values. That's a hard one for me to say. Yes. Yeah. Because again, and it's about making assumptions. So we, we, we can all agree that for good teamwork to flourish and to exercise good leadership, you have to establish trust. If we don't trust each other, we can't deliver an awful lot because we're second guessing our intentions. However, we can make some assumption, even if we agree as a principle, trust is good. But what does trust mean? And that's where having the cultural awareness, I'm coming from Scandinavia, I come from what we call a very universalist uh, culture, which means that rules and values and decisions are not negotiable regardless of the circumstances. Okay. There, may, there are many other cultures that are particularist, where particular circumstances of a situation will dictate what kind of behavior is expected. And I'll give you a little example. If I'm driving yeah. with my brother in a car, We're the only ones in the car. He's going too fast. He hits a bicyclist. The bicyclist falls over. Mm -hmm. I'm the only witness who knows that my brother was speeding. He's at fault. And we assume the bicyclist is only mildly injured. He's mildly injured. Okay. But so so. But still, somebody is responsible. There's a bike that needs to be repaired. There's a a, a policeman will come and take a report. My brother would be fined or punished in some way because he was speeding. Now, in a university culture, we would, you would uh, very much to say, well, tough luck, brother, you broke the law. And universal guidance is that I can make no exception because you're my brother. In a particularist culture, you would say, but he's your brother and nothing happened. And it's just a bicycle. We'll fix it. But we don't want you to get into trouble with the police. So you'd be more to say, I couldn't really see how fast he was going or maybe, I don't know. You would be more because there is a particular situation, it's your brother or it could be a close friend. So, and when you come to thinking about how, what does that do for trust? In Denmark, yeah. we would, in Denmark, we would say, but I can't trust this person. He makes exceptions for his brother. Wow. And in a particularist culture, they would look at me as a Dane and say, I can't trust this man. He, doesn't, he wouldn't even make an exception for his brother. Wow, that's classic. I, you And you must have seen this challenge constantly with all the different cultures you worked with. Yes, absolutely. I, I have. And that is where having that cultural awareness to understand how I am, is, how is my behavior and my communication being interpreted? Because I am, when I'm outside Denmark, I am the foreign element. 
I need to understand what what the culture around me is responding to the assumptions that that's my that's um that I'm making, which yeah. are driven by my assumptions. Yeah, you know, as you were talking, what popped into my mind is a communication model I came across a few years ago by the a woman by the name of Susan Steinbeck, and. Jens, what she did was she looked at how people communicate around the globe, and she came up with three archetypes of sports, bowling, basketball, rugby. And she said, okay, the people who communicate like bowlers, she said, we, we've seen a lot of Asia Pacific cultures where one person speaks, the other ones listens, there's lots of space and time, uh, there's more formality. Then there's the basketball style of communication where the co- communication is a little faster, you might be a little bit aggressive, though you can't be too aggressive. Otherwise, just like in basketball, you'll get a foul or uh, I think they they fouled in basketball. I I can't remember. (laughs) I'm sure that the listener will correct us if we're wrong. Exactly. I'll get an email on that one. And and this is what we see in North America and Northern Europe. Mm -hmm. Then the rugby style where you, you go for, you're on the field, there's blood, there's guts, and they go for Guinness afterwards. This is what they say they see in, she says, you see in Mediterranean culture, Middle Eastern culture, mm-hmm. Latin culture, and New York City. <laughs> yes. yes, I can contest to that. Right? I used to have, I do have a close friend who's Mexican, who I used to be offended by because she would, inter- she would talk over me and interrupt me. And it used to frustrate me. I couldn't finish my stories. And she once said to me, just out of the blue, she said, Amy, if you're not finishing my sentences, I think you're not interested in the conversation. And that's when the light bulb went off. I said, oh, she's just a rugby player. And so now I I allow myself a little more freedom to interact with her. And what the cool thing is, is now I don't take it personally or I'm I'm not offended or annoyed if and when she interrupts me, so to speak. Yes, and if you think about that, what you ha- the example you give is you have the self-awareness. You know what your trigger is, and you also understand the why. You understand what, what is the mechanic of this cultural difference. And knowing that, that, that enables you to recognize, I might be getting a little bit angry here because it's not my communication style, but the person has good intent. There's just a cultural difference that's getting in the way of this. As soon as you know that, and you know what's happening, that means you can trigger, you can interpret your trigger and you can take the step back and say, okay, how am I going to adapt to this? And I would add to that, a great assumption to make is that someone has positive intent. Even if you don't know what it is, even if you can't see it, even if you never figure it out, that helps us, that's more likely to help us stay partner. Yes, because then we're looking for the solution rather than for confrontation. Yeah, and I, oh, that's good. I'm going to quote you on that one. Solution versus <laughs> confrontation. Yeah, that's the sign of a mature human being. <laughs> Wish I could say I was always there. I'll, I'll be exactly <laughs> We all have our moments. So, Jens, um, you once told me a story um, that when you were working in Spain about something around power distance and how that became a problem for you around yes. cultural differences. Yeah, yeah. In cultural, across cultures, power distance varies greatly. And what is power distance? It's basically the power, the authority that you assign to somebody by merit of their position or their title. Now, again, I come from a, a very egalitarian culture in the Scandinavian countries, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, Finland, but certainly in Denmark, where it's, it, we've, we found it a bit ridiculous if buses take themselves 
too seriously or elevate themselves to, to a higher level. But in other cultures, that is expected. Not to be pompous, but there's a certain gravitas to being the boss. And, and that's, uh, although I've worked for a long time in Spain, I studied there, I've been there several times over, it's a country that's very close to my heart, it still tripped me up uh, now and then because my management style, leadership style is very Scandinavian. I know the differences, I know where it can get in our way, but I am Danish at heart. And I also think it's a value uh, that my leadership style works for me and seems to have worked for the teams that work for me. However, I'll give you an example. Okay. We hired uh, a young new guy to join our, our company in Madrid, Luis. Yeah. And uh, I didn't expect Luis to be fully fledged in, in Scandinavian leadership style, but I bid him welcome. I was part of the interviews. The first day he was in the office, I'd swing by and say how he was doing. And I would do that with everybody. I'll check in on them once a day during the first week. And I'll take them out for lunch just to get to know each other a bit better, get their observations and also get them to know me. And, and I did that with Luis. And uh, I learned afterwards because he shared that with me. He was rather shocked by that. And he felt very intimidated huh. because he said, oh, God, I'm one of the most junior people in the company. And the managing director wants to take me for lunch. And he got nervous. Uh, that was the intention was completely opposite. Right. I wanted to feel him at ease. But uh, nonetheless, he said that he got over that and he quickly embraced uh, the leadership style that I had. And what I encouraged everybody to do is to speak openly, share their ideas. And my door was always open, which is a bit of a cliche, but mine wasn't. People certainly used it. They would come in and share ideas with me. And uh, we would have our, our, our team meetings every week. And uh, I encourage people to speak up, share their ideas. And Luis did. And... Uh, that created another problem for Luis was that his boss, who was reporting to me, yeah. felt that that was out of place. That it was not for Luis to come up with new ideas and potentially make his boss look back in front of his boss. So uh, that created some, some issues for the two of them, which then becomes an issue for me. Because I had created that situation. I put them in unknown territory by my behavior. Right. And I created that conflict between them. And this is, uh, I think this is a good lesson learned. Although you're, you're very well versed in cultural differences, mm. you can still trip up. By the way, there's nothing wrong in being wrong. Right. But, but you need to have the wherewithal to understand if somebody starts then pulling back a little bit like Luis did. He became yeah. this participative in the meetings. I thought he was bored. Uh -huh. It was not because he was bored. Mm -hmm. It was because his boss, his boss had told him to put a sock in it because he didn't <laughs> want him to speak up in front, in front of the big boss. Mm. Little did the big boss know. Despite all my many years of experience in working across cultures, you learn all, all along and you can't so, get them all right. So what's your words of wisdom for listeners based on this experience that you just described? Be very observant when, about what's going on around you. And I made an assumption. I made an assumption that Luis was bored. He wasn't bored. Mm -hmm. He'd been put back in his box and something that did not sit very well with my leadership style. And I should have responded to it earlier. Had I known I made that assumption and I didn't validate that assumption. And that on my part was wrong. It was also a mistake on my part, not to be sure that Luis and his manager had understood that this is what I told Luis speak up. I want to hear your voice. That's why I hired uh -huh. you. And perhaps I've, had the first kind of discussions, just the three of us, 
rather than the, yeah. the big forum where everybody feels exposed when somebody comes up with a bright idea that everybody else feels they should have had. Mm. Yeah. So Jens, I want to now move to this other area that I find really fascinating and I want to get your input on it. It's around how we react to others. And, it, you know, we can't control how others respond to us, though we can control how we respond back. I think you and I both have are, are in agreement with that. Yes. Yep. And, you know, it, it makes me think of that classic phrase that has come out of my mouth many times and I hear from other people. And it sounds something like this. They made me so mad. And it's like, well, and I, and people are, I, I bear, tell people, okay, I'm going to say something that you're going to, it's probably going to be annoying, which is no one can make us feel anything. We choose. And it's okay to choose to be mad or upset or angry or whatever, um, though it's really empowering to realize I always have a choice in how I'm going to respond and behave. Um, and I'd like you to share a bit about your experience with when you read about the Predator Prey Partner from the book and, and how it landed for you. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, you're, you're absolutely right. We, we can't we we can't control how the world around us responds or what they come back with, but we can control our response. And and controlling is perhaps a strong word, but it's more we can interpret it and say what's going on here. And that again is having the self awareness to say this was not the response that I anticipated. Mm-hmm. Is there a good intent? Most of right. the time That's there is. Then what corrective action can I take? And I would say between the the predator, the prey, and the partner. I can swing between all three of them, depending on mood, my awareness of what's going on. Am I having a bad day? I'll admit it. I can be a little bit predatory. Sometimes if I'm having a bit of a down day, I can be a bit of a prey and say, ah, just leave me alone. I'd rather not be here. We're human beings. We're not perfect. But having the self-awareness to recognize that uh, and looking for the positive intents in, uh, in the responses that you're getting and aligning that with your own positive intent. Mm-hmm. Tell me a bit about, you, you had mentioned this uh, client that you had that you worked with, uh, Eloisa. You said she was yes. a, a um, very competent, highly engaged team player, marketing director, and a big multinational, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's a phenomenal uh, person and professional that uh, I've had the pleasure of working with for a long time. And um, she's a, a bit of a perfectionist, mm-hmm. but uh, mainly with herself, but she she thought, like many companies, have done a 360. So she got feedback from people around her, people who worked for her, boss and, and peers. And one of the elements of the feedback that came out was that she could be very uh, critical in pointing out things that should be done differently. And her intent was, when we started working at it, she said, well, I'm pointing that out to help people get better, especially with my team and with my peers. I'm trying to help by giving instructions. Say, Amy, I think you should do it in another way. And that was her intent. Her assumption was that it was appreciated. It was not appreciated because it was seen as a criticism. Right. And who was she giving the feedback to? Direct reports and peers? Direct reports and uh, peers. And their responses would be slightly different. Um, not surprisingly, most of her direct reports w- reports would go into more of a prey or victim behavior because she was the boss. Right. And didn't feel comfortable necessarily pushing back. Whereas peers would go more into a, a response with a predator and say, who the hell are you to tell me how to do right. my job? Which then creates uh, conflict and not constructive conflict, confrontation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how did you handle it? 
Well, what we worked on instead was to say, well, if your assumption that people understand your positive intent has now been proven not to have been correct, how can you show your positive intent? And what she did, and we, we worked on that together to say, how can you put that across? Rather than, in her case, she said, rather than giving a direct instruction, Amy, I want you to do the budget in a particular way, and I want to have it on a particular day. To explain to Amy, this is what I'm experiencing when the budget is late and there are mm. mistakes in it. So we both look bad when it ends up on the desk of the finance director. So she shifted from telling people what to do to telling them what she was experiencing. That gave them a chance to test whether their assumptions and intentions were being eliciting the response that she that they were expecting to get in her. So it's a different way of flipping. Yeah. Instead of criticizing, you say, this is what I'm experiencing. Yeah. Was that what you had in mind? Most of the time, the answer was, no, I didn't want you to yeah. be frustrated or look bad or, right. <laughs> or spend the evening correcting my spreadsheets. So what popped into my mind is it makes me think of that coaching model that you've probably learned, I've learned to teach people, which is AID, A-I-D. So the action when something's delayed, the impact it has the problem and then the desired behavior, the request. Yes, exactly. Okay, nice, nice. So um, something that I like to tell my coaches, I offer them two very powerful questions to ask other people on a regular basis. And first question is a little bit difficult to ask. The second question is really difficult to ask. Though I really encourage people to ask these questions regularly to everyone in their lives. And I think it helps to do with exactly what we've been talking about is to build self-awareness, to reduce assumption making, to increase positive intent. And um, the first question is, what can I do more of or differently to be a better, and then you fill it in, whether it's um, colleague, boss, neighbor, coach, friend, sibling, wife, husband, whatever it might be. Okay, that's question number one. Yes. Question number two, and we're going to do a role play, and I'm going to throw you in the hot seat for a second. Oh dear. Um, the second question is, what do you need to tell me that you don't want to tell me? So let's imagine that, uh, Jens, you and I are colleagues. And I, I've already asked you this question once uh, about a month ago. Hey, Jens, what do you need to tell me that you might not want to tell me? And at the time you said, oh, nothing, nothing. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, I checked in with you again and said, hey, Jens, anything that you need to tell me that you don't want to tell me? And you said, mm, nothing. So now it's day, it's the third time I'm checking in because it takes other people time to build up courage to do this. And so in two minutes, Jens, we're going to do a role play on this one. Mm -hmm. So I'm now going to say to you, Jens, what do you need to tell me that you don't want to tell me? Hmm. Well, Amy, uh, I've noticed, you've asked me a few times and I feel now I have, I have permission oh, to, cool. to tell you something. So I appreciate that. Um, what I have noticed is that when you and I are preparing work together, you like to finish at the deadline, but not before the deadline. True. And you send stuff to me, and then that gives me often very little time to digest it. And mm. I'm a person, I think very slowly, and I need reflection time between work. So I'll sit, you send me a document, I'll look at it, and I'll type in a few comments, and then I need to leave it for a little while and go and do other stuff. That's when my good ideas come up. Typically, when I'm doing my hobby or something else. And I would appreciate if, if you sent me things earlier, even if it's in draft form, that gives me the time that I need to digest and reflect. And I think you get a much better quality feedback from me when I do my input afterwards. 
Got it. So Jens, if I'm hearing you correctly, um, your request is that I give you more margin, more time to process things um, and not hand them in to you at the last minute. Please. Yes. Got it. So Jens, thanks for being really clear on that, letting me know. And I'm going to go away and think about that and see if that's feasible for me, if that's doable. And then I'll come back to you and let you know um, if I can commit to that. And if I can't, then we can talk about uh, maybe a do a workaround and find other solutions. Sure. Absolutely. Okay. Time. Cool. All right. So that listeners is a way that you can use those two questions very powerfully and notice how I didn't promise Jens. Yes, I'll do whatever it is. So just because you ask these questions doesn't mean you have to uh, uh, apply whatever it is they're requesting though. You let them know you're going to think about it. And then you need to make sure you're going to, you let them know you go back to them and then you tell them what your decision is because otherwise the trust gets broken. Yep. All right, so we are moving into the last couple of minutes of the show, Jens. And in case you have, I'm, I'm going to make a suggestion for my call for action to people after applying those two questions that they send me their communication conundrums, clashes, challenges, mishaps, and blunders and successes, either via email or my social media channels. And I'll discuss them on future sessions or rather future episodes. And you can reach me at Amy at carolcoaching.com. That's two R's, two L's. And with my guest, Jens, you can reach out to him on jkf.coaching, or you can look him up on LinkedIn, Jens Klein Fredrickson. Jens, is there any uh, call for action that you want to add before we complete today? Yeah, because we've been one short one, embrace Embrace mistakes. Mistakes nice. are opportunities to learn. We've spoken a lot of making assumptions. We've spoken a lot of things where you can go wrong. And embrace it. it okay. You learn a lot from it. And nobody is perfect. And we learn a lot from our mistakes if we look at them with open eyes and we're not afraid to face them. True. That's very brave. Well, listeners, be sure to check in, tune in next week. I'm going to be taking calls and chatting with, um, well, it's a surprise guest next week. I'm going to leave it at that. Feel free to connect with me on my social media channels, Amy Carroll Coaching. If you're ready to take your superhero powers to the next decade, join me for my online leadership presence course. Check out my website for more information. And Jens, thank you so much. It's been a wonderful conversation. It's been a pleasure, Amy. Thank you very much. Thank you, listeners. You've been listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Happy partnering, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Join Amy for another edition next Friday at 7 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, make it a great week. And remember, make your partner look good. <laughs>